0: Welcome to the Robert Walter Show. It is Friday, August 28th in 2020, and I am Robert Walter. Welcome to the show. What do we want to talk about today? Let's talk about yesterday was a little bit about accurate thinking of being happy. Let's focus a little bit more on that. We were talking about that just with a friend of mine just about half an hour ago, actually. And we were talking about excluding information that is opposite of what we tend to wanna believe. And that's what I was talking about yesterday. So it was interesting how that was kind of a follow-up this week with her as well. So what what do we do? How can we improve our lives? How can we have a better discussion? And one of the things we both enjoy is we get together to have a discussion and try to determine what we believe or what we'd like to have happen, what we'd like to see, what is the future we'd like to have. And how do we interpret what we see happening around us? And she says, one of the things she enjoys when we get together, and I enjoy the same thing. Of course, that's why we enjoy getting together, is is just having a discussion without having to be right. You see, one of the things I found is if I have to be right, actually, I, I turn that around. Some people, they want to be right, and therefore you have to be wrong, and they're out to prove their position. I wanna be right in terms of being correct. So if I see that you have a position that is opposite of mine, but it turns out I can be persuaded that your position is correct, I hope that I have the insights and the will and the ability to change positions. So one of my favorite sayings is, I won't be wrong for long. (laughs) So yes, I'd like to be right, and if you can prove to me that i'm wrong then i'd like to just switch sides so i'd like to take the position that i'm not so wedded to my beliefs that i'm going to defend them to the ends of the earth and uh and beyond and never consider something else and it's that being so some would call it pig-headed or uh, obstinate or i mean there's all kinds of words that we probably rather people weren't using about us that come up with people that are like that. And nobody enjoys a person like that. You have people that are just stuck on, well, it's got to be this way. And, and, uh, they're so certain they're right. And somebody else is just as certain that they're wrong. And neither of them ever looks at, at any data to actually determine what's really happening. I was talking with a a different friend last night on the phone and we're discussing something similar. And I said, you know, I went to a spiritual teacher once, and this man was giving a lecture. Actually, I watched it on a big screen, I guess it was. And uh, he's giving this talk, and he said most people would rather chirp like birds and Twitter at each other and uh, argue rather than just take two minutes to look up something that could be looked up as a fact. No, other words, they're arguing about things that are facts and could just be looked up. And isn't that kind of crazy? Why would we argue about something like that? Somebody has a memory that goes one way. Somebody else has a memory that goes another way. And if it's something that somebody could just look up, why don't you just look it up and get it over with? <laughs> I was, I'm reminded of uh, uh, last 4th of July. 4th of July in Blaine's a big deal. Uh, this year is the first 4th of July, and we haven't had a get-together at my house. And usually in Blaine, there's a parade, and there are it's just a big deal in Blaine and this fireworks at the end of the day ends the whole celebration and uh, the merchants look forward to people coming and it's it's just a great deal anyway this is the first year that hasn't happened COVID put it into it so last year we invited people over and one of Mandy's friends who's I think now one of my friends as well and we were talking and we have probably different political views but I try to be one that just looks for what are the facts. And we were talking about legislation so that uh, people could afford health care. And this friend said, well, you can't bankrupt a doctor. And I said, of course you can. And he said, no, you can't. I said, I've been bankrupt. I've been bankrupted. And he said, you mean you've declared bankruptcy? And I said, no, I've had patients declare bankruptcy and I didn't get paid. I know that that can happen. Well, he didn't think that was true. So I pulled out my phone and Googled it. And then I played <laughs> played the recording so he could listen to it. And he said, wow, I didn't think that was true. So suddenly we could come up with something and, and it was just a fact. We didn't have to argue about it anymore. It was just a fact. And in that case, I happened to be on the side that knew what the fact was, but I can easily be wrong as well. And it changed, though. It changed the way he thought about healthcare and legislation to arrive at what should be done about healthcare. And he said, well, then everybody should just get whatever they need and bankrupt them if you can't afford it. I said, yeah, that's kind of where I feel about it, too. Um, because what happens once we create legislation that pays for healthcare, care? And, and I'm kind of in favor for that, too. I can I can see a, a need for that. In fact, I wrote Dupum and Dopum back in. 2009 because I wanted people to see what I was seeing in regards to healthcare, And I actually combined two e-books. I wrote two e-books. One was, uh, what was it? Exposed the politics of health. Let's see. One of them is exposed the science in quotation marks, the science of medicine and the dollars it generates. And the other one was exposed how politics increased the cost of healthcare in America. And the point of both of those books was to go through what I had seen in healthcare over the last three decades and how it had changed. And what has happened is, politically, legislation has been passed so that the cash-paying patient is the only one that ever pays the cash fee. (laughs) A lot of people don't understand that. And what happened, and I can't find the, I don't know if I can find the legislation anymore. Last time I looked, I couldn't find it. But we were told when I started out that we must charge the insurance company the same thing that we charge a cash patient. In other words, we can't charge the insurance company more just because the person has insurance. We have to charge them the same thing we would have charged if the person had paid cash at the time of service. And that makes sense, I think, right? We wouldn't want somebody just screwing around with the insurance companies just because they'll pay more. I mean, that makes sense to me. On the other hand, the cost of delivering care to the insurance patient is much greater than the cash-paying patient. In other words, if I have to bill an insurance company and then wait for payment, and then they pay less than what they were supposed to, and then we gotta go through all the records and find out which ones they didn't pay for, and we gotta call them, and, and I mean, it just goes on and on. It's a nightmare. And in fact, I used to offer, and it's legal, to offer a cash discount. So you have a cash fee, and you bill that to the insurance companies, and then they've decided to over, I don't know how this came about, but it's okay to give a time of service discount. So in other words, it's not really a change in your cash fee. It's a change because people pay today. So if a cash patient comes in, a patient doesn't have insurance, and they can't pay today, they don't pay more because they can't pay today, but if they can pay today, they pay less. So it's a cash discount, time of service discount. And that's legal. So anyway, the cost, just the cost, time, value of money, it's what we call it in business school, the time value of money. In other words, if I give you a dollar today, that's worth more today than if I give you a dollar a year from now. And, and if you think about it, you, you know, that's true. What if you're, if you're an employee, what if you couldn't get a paycheck? This month and your employer said, well, I'll, you know, I'll just give you the same amount of month, uh, same amount of money. of so this month, I'll give it to you a year from now. Well, then you've got to go borrow money or spend your savings or whatever. It costs you money not to have the money today. That's my point. So you either have to borrow money and pay interest on the credit card or you got to take it out of your, your investments and not get what you would have gotten on, out of the investments, which is an opportunity cost. Maybe I should go over that. A lot of people don't think about opportunity costs. And opportunity costs is the cost of not doing something that you could have done. I remember uh, when I was in high school, I was offered a chance to go to Boys State, uh, something about state government. And I don't even know what it was, didn't really know what it was at the time. But I didn't go. I chose not to go. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you go? I didn't want to cost you anything you know, it's paid for. And I said, it's going to cost me whatever I would have made by staying home and working. <laughs> so even as a, as a high school kid, I understood opportunity cost. That would have been the opportunity cost. And it's the same if you invest in your money, you invest your time, whatever you're investing, the opportunity cost is whatever you could have done otherwise with your time or your money. So anyway, you've got an opportunity cost. If your patients aren't paying you today then there's a cost involved, time, value, money, cost. And then in addition to that, there's the cost of actually billing the insurance. We either have to do it ourselves, which is really costly. or We pay somebody to do it, which is the usual way. So you've got that cost in addition to actually paying your service and your rent and utilities and all the other things that go into providing the service. So the cost of actually doing insurance is is pretty high and and what i started to talk about was a patient came in and i was offering a time of service discount she wanted to take advantage of the discount but she also wanted me to build the insurance and i said well i explained to her why she got the discount because i don't want to build the insurance you can do it i'll give you the you know i'll give you a super bill and you can do it yourself and she said yeah but the problem if i do it is that, you know, I'll send it in, and then they won't pay, and then I'll have to call them, and then i won't answer the phone. I'll be on hold for an hour, and then i got to call them back, and then they'll send me some won't be the right amount, and I'll have to call them back and find out why they didn't pay it. And I, I just started laughing. I said, that's exactly why it's the time of service discount. I don't want to have to do all that either. <laughs> and, and that's why you get the discount. So you do it if you want the discount. If you want me to do it, then don't take the discount, and I'll bill it for you. So that's how I was doing things back then. But hopefully you're getting some idea of why this all came about. So what happened is if your costs go up, if you bill insurance, and most people want you to bill their insurance, then you have to raise your fee to cover the costs of billing insurance. And if you raise your fee because of the cost of billing insurance, then you have to charge the cash patient the same fee because you can't charge the insurance patient more than you charge the cash patient. So, the fee for the cash patient goes up. Then, what happened over time is they decided well, it's legal to have a contract between the insurance company and the provider. Originally, I think it was called a preferred provider agreement. So, we could sign you know, in as PPO, preferred provider agreement, or PP, preferred provider organization. That's what it was. And you'd have an agreement with this preferred provider organization and patients could sign up with their preferred provider organization and get a discount. So the patients would get a discount if they paid money to this third party and the third party then would give the doctor less money on a contract. And the agreement was that the preferred provider organization was going to send patients to that provider because they had all these patients that had signed up for their, service. So in other words, it was going to be kind of like a marketing approach. So instead of having to market my practice and look for patients, people that had signed up for this preferred provider organization would just look and see who had signed up with that organization and would go to those doctors who had signed up so they could get their discount. So they'd be covered. So that was a way around this, uh, this having to send the bill to the cash patients, the same as the insurance company. Now the preferred provider organization could pay less. So that was the start of this whole deal. So now we've got all kinds of contracts between doctors and the insurance companies. So the insurance companies are paying the doctors much less than the cash patient. So it turns out that the only person actually paying the whole fee is the cash patient. And that's how politics <laughs> increase the cost of healthcare in America because it made it illegal for us just to have a negotiation between a doctor and a patient to determine how much they're going to pay for their care. And I thought it was interesting. I think it was when uh, George W. Bush was president. He was, he thought he was going to lower hospital costs. I think it was hospital costs might've been whole healthcare costs, but I think it was hospital costs. And he was going to have all the hospitals have to declare what they were charging for procedures. So that the patients could go in and negotiate what the fee ought to be. In other words, he was thinking that you know a patient could go into a doctor and just negotiate like going in and getting any other service. And of course, that's just not legal. So I wondered how far that'd go, and it didn't go very far. I don't know who must have clued him in, but my recollection is that didn't go very far. And by the way, I like to say a lot of times that my recollection is something knowing that i've done enough research on brain research and memory to know that my memory may not be accurate (laughs) so if you look up something you'll find out that my memory is not accurate all you have to do is point that out to me and i'd be happy for you to do that and straighten me out and uh, i'll admit it hopefully quite quickly Um, and one of the ways you can do that is as you're listening to this you can click on message I haven't, you know, I'm new to this whole thing, but my understanding is you can click on message and record a message and I can listen to it and actually respond to that in another episode. I can include your audio recording. If I figure all this out, I can re- include your audio recording and respond to that in a, in a later broadcast, and a later episode. So if you want to do that, that'd be super. In fact, if any of you have anything you want to say, feel free to use this message thing. That'd be great. So, anyway, we're back to this whole idea of accurate thinking. Accurate thinking, I got, so I went from accurate thinking to my friend with the bankrupting doctors to how politics increase the cost of healthcare in America. And one of the things that I think would be helpful is having this ability to negotiate without the insurance companies getting in between. But what's happened is, and I realized, oh, I guess it's back in 2009 when I wrote the book, I began to realize that when a politician nowadays thinks about a healthcare provider, they're not thinking about a doctor. A doctor is no longer a healthcare provider. In a politician's eyes, a healthcare provider is an insurance company. And therefore if you don't have healthcare insurance, by the way, it's not even healthcare insurance. If you don't have disease care insurance, then you don't have health care because you can go see a doctor unless you have insurance because doctors aren't really the providers they just work for the insurance companies and that's the way we're working this thing out and that's how the politics has evolved over time and because of that actually you can get a lot more care if we're all paying into an insurance company or if we were all paying into the government and the government was often offering single-payer Healthcare, care, you could get a lot more care. In fact, you could get as much care as we're willing to pay for. Because if you think about it, there's no end to how much health care could cost if we were all willing to pay into a system that would pay an unlimited amount. There's just no end to it. And that's the problem with the people that say, well, we just want Medicare for all. First of all, if you want Medicare for all, you don't realize that Medicare doesn't pay very much. In my case, Medicare was paying, I think for an adjustment, Medicare was paying, what what my check actually was, it was about $17 back when I got started. And at that time, $17 and some change, I think. And that's 80% of their allowed amount. And their allowed amount wasn't what I was charging. So I think I was charging maybe $25 at the time. And I had a deal where somebody could pay at the time of service and get $20 and that plan was actually not just a time of service you had to prepay so you could get five visits instead of four for a hundred bucks or something like that so anyway $17 wasn't too bad it wasn't severely out of range but much later they're up to like $20 and my fees at 50 so you know they're just not keeping up And in fact, for a while, the hospital wouldn't take Medicare patients. In fact, nobody in town, I don't know right now if you can get anybody in town. I think the hospital is the only one taking Medicare patients. My understanding is the way that they can afford it is that's kind of a, a lead to get a, you know, in in marketing and business, we talk about how much you have to pay to get a lead so that you can offer them more extensive services. We, We do that with. I do that with falter Academy, as an example, you can take a low cost course. My hope is you'll take a higher price course or you'll want some other services from me because you enjoyed the first course. You decide, well, that worked out so well. I think I want even more information so I can do even better and I'm willing to pay more for that. I mean, that's how it works with that's how business works. <laughs> you do a good job. People want more and you, you charge them a little more to get a little more. But anyway, what the hospital is doing is they accept Medicare patients, and the basic stuff they maybe lose a little bit of money on, but if they need uh, x-ray or MRI or CAT scan or any of those things, Medicare pays more for that equipment. So if they can run a lot of people through using that equipment, then they make more money. The hospital makes more money. So I'm just now remembering I, I went to a business club lunch And I got there late and just happened to sit down at a table and they were discussing the hospital and medical care. So I had nothing to do with this. I don't really know anything about hospital anyway, but somebody was mentioning that a friend of theirs left the country, a medical doctor left the country because the hospital wanted some of their money back because they weren't ordering enough high-end care enough like x-rays, MRIs or CAT scans or, or whatever, higher-end care that would generate bigger fees. And therefore, they were this doctor had been overpaid and they were trying to get out of it. Now, I suspect that would be illegal, <laughs> but doesn't mean it isn't happening. Anyway, that was a that's just hearsay. What we'd really need to do if we want to be accurate thinkers is look into that and something that somebody else would have to be doing anyway make a bring this around to what I talked about just in the last episode my mother was in the hospital last weekend and sure enough because she had a history she'd been in a 18 months ago with a bowel kind of problem so they needed to do a CT scan to see if she was how her bowels are doing even though there's no evidence that she was having bowel trouble she had some abdominal pain which turned out to be urinary, but they still thought they needed the CT. Of course, on the CT then, they saw this problem with their spine, so then they decided, well, maybe that was having a, some impact on her bladder, which is all logical thinking. And those of you who think that's out of the realm of possibility, that's, that's all fine. Neurogenic bladder is what it could be called, and it appeared to be a, a bone spur coming off of her second lumbar vertebra, which had been fractured last year and that might be pressing against her spinal cord and causing her to have this bladder problem. So anyway, I'm all okay with that. So then they do the MRI because that was the next step. And then a neurosurgeon had to look at the MRI to decide how that was going. And thank God, everything's fine. And of course, she also had to have a chest X-ray because I had mentioned that she has some shortness of breath. So we've got this whole thing going on now and it's all, I guess we could say it's all better care we could argue that yeah aren't we glad that she had medicare and she was able to get all these different tests done and thank god everything's good and i'd agree with that however the other side of this is there's a movement called choose i think it's called choosing wisely something like that i don't know if i could find it if i try to look online here real quick let me see maybe i could right in front of my computer today so we can choose. Let's see. Let me just put that in and see what I get. Yeah, Choosing Wisely Promoting Conversations Between Patients and Clinicians. The whole idea behind this group is to have a conversation between patient. it says patients and clinicians, to have conversations about tests and whether they're really worth doing or not. As an example, I became aware of this because the American Chiropractic Association got involved and said the evidence showed that we shouldn't be x-raying people with low back pain. Immediately, we should wait like six weeks unless there was some indication that they had like a neurogenic bladder or something that we call red flags or you know, a fracture or something that would indicate that it was more involved in simply needing a chiropractic adjustment so unless there were these red flags we shouldn't be uh, x-raying people's low back pain and here was the argument I, I looked at the research behind that decision because I was opposed to that decision <laughs> so I looked up to see okay what are they talking about now the reason I was opposed to it is I've had patients who have come in and because of what I saw in the x-ray I look for alignment and I think that because of what I saw in the alignment, I adjusted them a little bit differently. And saw. I can think of one case in particular, where he said, you're the first chiropractor out of four I've gone to, where I felt better when I got off the table. And I think it's because I figured out based on the x-ray, because I've been looking at x-rays for, at that time, 25 years, and knew what I was doing, knew what I've seen. But anyway, regardless, I, I want to admit that maybe I'm wrong, however, what these people were saying was, well, we did studies where people with low back pain went into the doctor, and not necessarily a chiropractor, more along. I think it was a medical study, actually. And of course, they x-rayed them right away because they had back pain. And then the outcome was that their pain went away without any care. unless they saw something on the x-ray. And then they decided, well, now that we've seen that, we need a CAT scan, or maybe we need an MRI. And once they did the CAT scan or the MRI, they decided they needed surgery. And they found out in many of those cases, if they hadn't done the x-ray to begin with, they wouldn't have gotten the CAT scan or the MRI or the surgery, and they would have gotten well in six weeks if nothing had been done. Now, that may be an eye-opener for some of you, that people actually get well a lot of times without any care. And that goes against what a lot of people are thinking right now. The body is a, basically a self-healing organism. And we only want to interfere when it's not healing itself. Well, at least that's been the chiropractic approach. And I find a lot of med- medical doctors wind up agreeing with me, but we've got this kind of thinking in our mind. Now. I had a patient another example just comes to mind I Had a patient come in and she had her grandson out in the car and she just taken him to a medical doctor because he has a cough. So he has a cough. She went to a pediatrician. The pediatrician says it's a viral infection. We can't give an antibiotic. It won't do any good. And she's upset. She's going to take him to another pediatrician so she can get an antibiotic for him. Now, knowing what I've seen over 30 years in medicine, she probably did find another physician who will give an antibiotic for a viral infection. But the first guy was telling the truth. You don't give an antibiotic for a viral infection. So if he was right, then the treatment was not going to help. But she's upset because she's convinced that her grandson needs some kind of intervention. And a lot of that's what's happened right now. we become so consumed that we don't believe. We have no faith in the body's ability to heal itself. Every little cough, and that's the advertising. If you've got these symptoms, you better get in and get checked. Oh, yeah, you better hurry up, too, because you might get well before you can get there. So the real question is how do we decide when we need the test and when we don't and that's what the conversation the choosing wisely group is trying to promote what tests are necessary and when are they not and one of the things i like to look at is okay what will we change if we do the test will our treatment change and how will our treatment change and if our treatment isn't going to change why bother to do the test I think that's a, that's a really valid point of view. When you're going in, if you're going into your doctor and they're recommending some kind of tests. Okay, so what are we going to do? What's going to be, we called them back when I was in computers, we called it the decision tree. <laughs> you'd have a line and you'd have a question and the question might be yes or no. And if the question is yes, you'd have a line off of that going maybe to the right. And if the question is no, you'd have another line going to the left and for the yes, you'd have well now do this, and for the no, you'd have now do this. So that's called a deci- decision tree. Well, we should have some kind of a decision tree in our mind as to what it is we're looking for on every kind of a test. And originally on the on the back pain and X-rays, you know, as I used to say, I'm not going to know what I'm going to see until I see it. But in my case, it was really an alignment kind of thing. So I was pretty sure that I was going to see something that I was going to be able to change based on that, based on what I saw on the x-ray. Now, a lot of chiropractors don't provide their care based on what they see on an x-ray. So it really depends on the person. And one of the things I found, I found out when I was a kid, a lot of times low back pain is actually caused by a problem in the neck. But that (laughs) really gets to be another story and we'll save that for another time. Well, I see we're just approaching the 30 minute mark. I'm trying to keep this at about 30 minutes per episode. I hope you've enjoyed today. Uh, We've covered a a lot of territory and I look forward to seeing you or listening to or saying something to you next week. And thanks for listening and I hope you have a great weekend. This is Robert Affalter signing off once again. Thanks for listening.